my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back. You are listening to The Mark Moss Show, and we are talking about Bitcoin and the decentralized revolution. I'm talking about a technological revolution that will literally change the world, the largest opportunity, the largest wealth transfer we'll ever see, and it will change every area of life. Now, we are talking about a lot of different things, and I wanted to get into specifically on some of the things about perception and education. The reason why I want to talk about that specifically is because I believe that education is at the bottom of almost everything in life, and so the problems with our health is we're not educated properly. The problems with our money is we're not educated properly. And I'm joined here in the studio with my friend Brad, who just recently ran a poll, and he wanted to find out what people thought of the financial system, uh, money, Bitcoin, et cetera, what the differences were with uh, demographics, ages, education levels, and so forth. And I was uh, pretty amazed at the findings that were there, and I wanted to go over them. So Brad, uh, thanks so much for joining me today. You're welcome, sir. Thank you for uh, inviting me on. 
Yeah, so um, I thought it was just so cool the way that you did it and um, really trying to understand, I guess, what people were thinking and then kind of break them down by age group, sex, et cetera. Um, I guess give me a little bit more background on to what it is that you were trying to do here and what or what you did. Um, yeah, man. Well, so I am a Bitcoin evangelist and I think of myself as a beginner mind type of person. I like to put myself in the shoes of a normal person, even though I've been in Bitcoin since 2011. Um, so maybe I'm not in the, in the same like newbie mind as someone coming to Bitcoin in 2021, but I want to understand the newbie mind. So I ran this survey to kind of confirm, um, some things that I had assumptions on, about what people think about the money system, what people think about the stock market, what people think about Bitcoin, just just to get a kind of an idea of what the different economic classes and, uh, you know, men versus women, things like that, thought about Bitcoin and the money system. And uh, we all have our, our, like, suspicions of what everybody thinks and how people are educated on the financial system and the money system, but... It's good to kind of get some confirmations and discover some new stuff. So that's why I had this survey run so that I could kind of like have a bit more insight into maybe some of the assumptions we have are wrong or maybe they are all right. So, yeah, that was the the motivation just to just kind of like test the hypothesis that like, say, boomers just don't get Bitcoin or like women are so conservative that they won't invest in Bitcoin or, you know, why are there so many white males in Bitcoin? Like there's all these different things that go around on, in Bitcoin. It's like why do different gr- groups think about the money system different ways and how do they instinctively think about it? And they and and use that data so that we as Bitcoin evangelists can craft our message to appeal to the different groups of people to better educate them on what Bitcoin really is and how the money system is screwing everybody. I, I uh, a couple of things were standing out to me B- before you came on while we were waiting for you. I was chatting with my producer and engineer, and um, I just uh, we, I, I asked him just a couple couple questions. Um, and uh, the one question was just what backs the U.S. dollar? What's it backed by? That was like one of the questions that you had. And uh, uh, I'm not going to call him out by name, but let's just say that both of them got it wrong. So. Um, that was, that was uh, pretty telling, you know, um, but I love the way that you put this together by um, one, obviously breaking them down by socioeconomic factors, ages, etc. But also, I love that way that you basically run them through a set of questions. And then by the time that you've finished showing them the answers to those questions, you said a lar- large pr- uh, percentage of the uh, people that went through the poll actually had changed their mind. Is that right? Yeah, that was the kind of initial basis of it. It was like Ron Paul does this thing on Twitter every year for since 2017 or so where he posits a question on Twitter and puts a little poll up. Now, I don't know if it's Ron Paul or his marketing media, media manager guy, whatever, but like Ron Paul's Twitter account, let's say, puts this poll out where it says, if you were given a windfall of cash, but or sorry, a windfall of $10,000, but you had to choose to keep it in somewhere for 10 years, what would you choose? Would you mm-hmm. choose gold, cash, um, and I think that he said bonds and Bitcoin. Like It was basically like giving people four options. If you had 10 years, someone rich relative gives you some money, whatever it is, but you got to leave it there for 10 years, what are you going to choose? And uh, he runs the survey every year. And it's a cool, it's a cool concept. So I thought, well... 
I'd like to get a real survey done where we ask people that question and then we take them through a series of education about the financial system and then at the end ask them the same question again and measure what the difference is between people at the beginning who would say cash and then people at the end who would drop cash for Bitcoin. Yeah. Yeah, so that's like kind of the first question that you open up with, which was so cool. Uh, by the way, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about Bitcoin, the decentralized revolution. I'm with Brad Mills. Uh, you can find him on Twitter, at Brad Mills Can, M-I-L-L-S Can. So uh, follow him on Twitter. Ask him some questions about this if you want. But in that question, basically what you just kind of framed up, you had asked, um, if a wealthy person were to gift you $10,000, uh, and you get to choose how you accept it. And the catch is you have to hold it there for 10 years. Um, what would you choose? Um, and, and just that right there was pretty telling. So 46% chose U.S. dollars, 22% gold, 18% stocks. And then the lowest, the 13% was Bitcoin. But what I thought was most interesting about that is as I dug into the um, data behind the answers, I saw that, um, you know, the boomers and Gen X were more likely for gold and, and the Gen, Gen X millennials and Gen Z were more likely for Bitcoin. That wasn't shocking. Um, but the one that was was the SES effects, the socioeconomic. And it said that the wealthy were significantly more likely than all other classes to invest into Bitcoin, 22% versus 8%. Um, and then the second part, the low income and below poverty line, significantly more likely to choose U.S. dollars. And so that piece right there is like telling as to why we consistently have this like growing gap of uh, income inequality, I think. Yeah, for sure, man. It's definitely like that's our assumption, too, that, you know, like rich people think more about investing and they're more educated on investing. So, of course, they're going to choose something like Bitcoin or gold or stocks or whatever than someone who's like living paycheck to paycheck and they can't afford to like <laughs> hold on to investments because they're just they're not educated and they don't have the uh, privilege, I guess, to be able to sit in investments when they got bills. So that wasn't really surprising to me. What was what was more surprising to me with with the results of like going through the full education was by the end of it, like the poor people had choose chosen Bitcoin like on a much broader basis than the other the other uh, options because most people just don't know about cash. They don't know about what backs dollars. They don't know that it's lost its purchasing power. So everybody across the spectrum increased to Bitcoin. A lot when they were educated but poor people also were just you know they just need some education and once they get educated on how crappy the internet uh, the uh, financial system is and what a good opportunity and um, it is to kind of save in bitcoin they'll choose it just as well as a rich person yeah, that's a great point. Um, so I want to get into some of those questions that got people to change their mind because I'm I'm imagining we have a lot of people listening who probably still aren't fully convinced and maybe if they get asked the same questions. Um, but before we do, I just going back to kind of that first part um, about uh, the the wealthier people were more into investing and the, and the lower income people weren't. And and um, the piece I just want to kind of emphasize on that is that the reason why we kind of well one of the main contributors to this income divide of rich and poor is that the the wealthy invest their money, they buy real estate, they buy stocks, they buy um, Bitcoin, et cetera. And those things go up in money as the Fed keeps printing. Uh, they go up in dollar values. Um, whereas 
unfortunately, the poor people, they're just living off of wages, which are continuing to purchase less and less. And then they're not buying any assets that go up in value. And so they're kind of double screwed. Um, but we are listening to The Mark Moss Show. I'm here with Brad Mills. You can find him on Twitter at Brad Mills Can, M-I-L-L-S Can. Uh, tweet at him if you like this uh, poll. Um, and when we get back, I want to find out what some of these questions were that you think were probably um, the most instrumental in changing people's minds. Um, and then some of the more, I guess, uh, we'll say shocking uh, types of questions and stuff like uh, what type of entity is the Federal Reserve or, or, uh, or what is backing dollars? I know I got some people stumped with those already. So uh, we'll be back in just a second on the Mark Moss Show. Stay tuned. All right, welcome back. You're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about Bitcoin. We're talking about the decentralized revolution. Um, not just a new technology, a technological revolution that will literally change the way that humanity works. It will literally change the future. Uh, we're talking about some education pieces. Uh, edu the, the lack of education, I think, is what causes a lot of people to be held back and miss these opportunities. I'm joined by Brad Mills. Uh, you can find him at Twitter, at Brad Mills Can. Um, and he put together this poll um, and through a series of questions, was able to get some insight into kind of how people are viewing it. Um, and then also kind of change their perspective just by asking them questions. So Brad, um, jumping back into this, um, I guess, what are some of the big questions that you think were maybe the big needle movers there? Like uh, what's backing the US dollar, for example, or uh, what um, was it? You know, I think it was more so the, because in the middle of the survey, we kind of take them down the rabbit hole and we start asking them about like the stock market and how the stock market has performed over the last few decades. And I think that's what moved the needle for the wealthier social economic classes that answered the survey because most, you know, if you've been in the stock market since the 70s, you probably would have got something crazy. I forget the numbers off my head right now, but I think it's like a, a 30x or something on your dollar investment. But if you adjust that for inflation and purchasing power, loss of purchasing, po purchasing power, you know, you're maybe up like 3x or something really not that impressive <laughs> over 40 right. years of sitting in the stock market. So there was that, that was kind of, it seemed like the number of, uh, of, of wealthy people who feel confident in answering questions about the stock market and about the financial system was really high. So a large percentage of wealthy people we're, we're basically telling us that, Oh yeah, I know all about the stock market. I know about Bitcoin. I know about gold. But then when we were explaining how once you adjust for the drop in purchasing power, you didn't really do that good. And you didn't even hold your purchasing power against gold in the last, you know, 30, 40 years if you had just saved in dollars. And it was really shocking that people, like a lot of people thought that the U.S. dollar actually gained purchasing power over the last 30 years. Like the, yeah. ma the majority of people um, just have no clue about how the dollar loses its value and how once you once you think in purchasing power instead of dollars you're actually treading water or not doing very good and and then when we would then later ask them would you believe of us would you believe us if we told you x y or z we would educate them about like the performance of the stock market a lot of the rich people were just resistant to accepting that what we had just told them was the truth. But the longer we go on the survey, the more that we see people converting to 
this this rabbit hole of information and education we're teaching them about purchasing power and and wealth yeah. preservation versus just the number go up of the stock market versus the actual amount of things they can purchase with the with the money and then by yeah. the end of it the uh it was pretty clear that the wealthy f- segment of people that answered the survey were way overconfident. They thought they knew so much about the the dollar, the the stock market, and Bitcoin, and then all their answers were consistently wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> it was hilarious to see that come out through the survey. And then by the end, the wealthy people, of course, increased that like their answer that they would choose Bitcoin by quite a lot. Yeah. The uh, one thing that I, I've heard you keep saying over and over, which is um, start to think about purchasing power. And, uh, and I love that because that's something that I continue to pound the table on. Um, we need to start thinking of things in terms of purchasing power because right now everybody's thinking about things in terms of U.S. dollars. It's, you know, half of every transaction if you're in the United States, which most people here listening are. And so I like to ask people the question, like right now in the U.S., are, is real estate expensive or is it cheap? And I would ask people that question, and they're like, uh, well, I'm like, well, in U.S. dollars, it's very expensive. They've never been more expensive. But what if we priced it in gold or oil or uh, Bitcoin or something like that? Well, then homes have actually never been cheaper. And so um, you have to start thinking in terms of purchasing power. So it's, uh, so it's good that you could do that. The other thing that you said that, that also makes sense, and I find this true, is um, the more educated you are, unfortunately, um, yeah, sometimes you, you hold yourself back. Because I, I hear from people, the more educated they are, they're like, oh, I get it, I get it, I get it. It's like digital gold. Sure, yeah, whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah I get it. It's, it's kind of like digital cash. Okay, I, I get it. And they think they get it, whereas like you, you've been in since 2011. I've been studying since 2015, and I'm still trying to figure it out, right? Um, and so maybe the rich are uh, maybe too proud, I guess. They're too proud to admit it or what is too, it? I think it's just confidence. I think the, the the wealthy people are like displayed a lot of confidence in their answers, but they were confidently wrong. Like they were wrong more than the lower income classes. Like it was funny to see that because the wealthy people were answering the questions about Bitcoin as if they knew, like they would know the value of Bitcoin. Because I think one of the questions we had put up was, Compared to gold, like, do you think Bitcoin's value as mar- per mar- as a market cap is bigger than gold? Is it smaller than gold? And we give some numbers. And the wealthy segment of the the surveyor respondents were answering confidently that you know pretty much they thought they'd missed it that Bitcoin was already as valuable as gold and it was not really like much opportunity investing in Bitcoin anymore. And then we would tell them in the next question, like, actually, it's got a 20x to go if it's going to catch up to gold. Um, well, th- at the time of the survey, now it's more like a, a 10x. But and I think that also increased the uh, the you know the the likelihood that the person was going to accept choose Bitcoin now because wealthy folks and this was across the board. People thought Bitcoin had already got this big massive run and they were too late to the game and they missed it and. The other thing was that um, across all social economic classes, men, women, everything, more people knew that Bitcoin was not controlled by anybody than the dollar. Like people, mm. people, when we asked the question about the dollar, what do you think controls printing of the U.S. dollar? Who do you think controls monetary policy of the U.S. dollar? More people said the wrong answer for that. But when we asked about Bitcoin, more people actually said the right answer. They said nobody. So there's kind of an interesting thing there that like there's a lot of misinformation and and confusion about the entire money system, the stock market, how dollars are made, who controls it, what it's backed by. 
and even Bitcoin, there's a lot of confusion there, but people definitely consistently, once they're educated, choose Bitcoin over all these other things, stocks, bonds, commodities, real estate, everything. Once they start learning, when go down the rabbit hole. So it's good to see that. Yeah, I think maybe, um, you know, the the media that constantly attacks Bitcoin and they want to put out this FUD, the fear, uncertainty and doubt, they constantly talk about, we don't even know who the creator was, you know, who Satoshi Nakamoto is, he disappeared. So uh, they've probably helped a little bit on that side, educating there. Uh, but on the stuff that's that's really important, um, they, they, they've lacked, obviously. I, I keep thinking about, you know, Henry Ford's quote 100 years ago that said, if the, if the people knew how the banking system worked, there'd be a revolution before the morning like they wouldn't wait to like, like literally it happened overnight or before the morning came and um so then i just think well you know with this lack of education as we can see from your poll um people have either been intentionally misled or withheld information from at worst case you know where they've been straight out lied to um, but I want to jump into a couple more questions that you have on this. Um, you're, you're listening to the Mark Moss Show. We're, we're talking about Bitcoin. We're talking about the decentralized revolution. I'm here with Brad Mills, who put together this survey to find out what people know about Bitcoin and just the financial system overall. You can find him at Brad Mills Can on Twitter. I'm number one, Mark Moss on Twitter. Um, send us a message. Uh, ask us a question. Uh, we'll make sure to get back to you on that. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about some of these specific questions that can maybe change your mind. We'll see if you can stump you on a few. So we'll be right back. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. 
If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back. You are listening to The Mark Moss Show, and we are talking about Bitcoin. We're talking about the decentralized revolution. We're talking about something so new, so revolutionary, that it's literally going to change the way the world works. And if you're not paying attention, it might end up bad for you. But if you are paying attention, it could be one of the biggest opportunities of your life. I'm joined here with Brad Mills, uh, at Brad Mills Can on Twitter. Um, and we're talking about a poll that he recently ran um, asking people questions about the financial system and about Bitcoin. Um, and then what, what some of the answers were, what some of the shocking uh, things were, and, and how people change their mind. Um, Brad, you were talking about um, asking people about the performance of assets. Uh, I see one of the questions here was, you know, what do you think was a better investment asset over the last 10 years? Um, and if, if almost half the people thought gold. Um, Almost 30% of people said the stock market, um, and even 15% of people thought cash, um, which is pretty amazing to me because, I mean, Bitcoin has averaged a 200% compounded annual growth rate over the last 10 years. Um, and it seems like that's like pretty well known. Like uh, you see it, even the news is talking about it today. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of everywhere. Was that one shocking for you? No, because... It just goes to show that not many people think really too hard about what backs money and the relative value of Bitcoin or anything really versus other things. It's a really foreign concept. Most people just, just kind of like money's just part of their lives and they don't actually look deeply into it. So that was that was uh, not surprising for me to see that. But it is, it is really heartening again for me to see that like once these people do get educated like in the next question um we asked them about what do they think bitcoin's worth because like no like to only 12 percent of the people that were asked that question like chose the right answer <laughs> they only 12 percent of the people realized that bitcoin was the best investment over the last decade so 10% of the people just had no clue, 12% of the people just had no clue that Bitcoin was was doing so well compared to even the US stock market and gold and you know the dollar. So in the next question that's when we asked them, well how much do you think Bitcoin is worth? Like do you think Bitcoin's worth the size of the real estate market, the size of the gold market, which is 8 trillion dollars? And then so many people thought Bitcoin was was overvalued by a significant margin it like barely anybody knew that bitcoin was such a good opportunity right now i, li I like the way that you asked that question though because you you framed it right so you said if all the cash money in the world is worth 80 trillion uh, if the gold is worth 8 trillion uh, right. If, if real estate's worth two hundred trillion, then what do you think all the Bitcoin in the world is worth? Um, right. So you kind of you kind of pre-framed it a yeah, little bit. Yeah, trying to give them a little idea, like they, these this thing is worth this. This thing is this big. How do you think Bitcoin performs here? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Well, 
the reason why I think that's important is, you know, if we were in Silicon Valley, I know you're a, you're a VC investor, you're investing into a lot of these early stage Bitcoin companies. And if we were, you know, in, in Silicon Valley a decade ago and people were pitching us on Uber, which most people, you know, a lot of people turned down, uh, you're trying to figure out like, what is it going to be worth? And you would look at like, well, what are the markets that it's going to disrupt? So, you know, taxi industry is this big, limo industry is this big, uh, you know, van ride share is this big. And if we can get 5% of each, you know, we could have this market share. Um, and so you kind of have to get that context. And that's kind of what you did in this question, most people probably have no idea that there's $200 trillion sitting in real estate. And a lot of people probably don't want to be landlords. They only put it there because uh, it's losing money in the bank. Um, or same with $80 trillion in cash. Uh, when you start to look at you know $400 trillion worth of debt or whatever, um, all of a sudden, then you go, well, shoot, Bitcoin is actually tiny. Like It's actually like super undervalued, I guess. Yeah, and that's why we saw people such a crazy difference in from the beginning when we asked the question the Ron Paul inspired question to the end of the survey after giving them all this information giving them the, the comparing Bitcoin to all the things that they're familiar with but never look deeply into by the end of the survey the like across the board everybody was choosing Bitcoin like twice as much or three times as much um, and most of it, most of the difference came from cash. A lot of people just decided, well, actually, I don't want to hold the cash for 10 years. <laughs> I want some Bitcoin. Um, right. Gold kind of held up for sure. Like people still wanted some stocks and some gold, but it was majority of the difference in the, the, the answer came from people dropping cash and picking up some Bitcoin. And it was um, surprisingly Gen Zs, the younger people who were one of the biggest demographics that didn't realize what a good opportunity bitcoin was and it was obviously like boomers that's what everybody assumes that boomers just don't get the new tech they're into gold um they're into real estate and stuff like that stocks so that was obvious from the beginning the boomers were very like low compared to the other generations to choose bitcoin but after going through the survey one of the most surprising things that came out of this honestly was the idea that like the boomers that went through the survey survey they changed their answer at a rate that was faster than and bigger and more impactful than any of the other uh, mm. generations. So there was like that a is. 370% increase from the beginning to the end in the boomer demographic. So mm. it kind of goes contra contrary to the assumption that most of us have about like boomers not, you know, just let's just forget about educating the boomers like like Grayscale runs the drop gold campaign, which is trying to like convince the boomers to get rid of their gold. And, you know, I, I think from the results of the survey, that might actually not be the best approach here because based on this survey result, if you just educate and take them down the rabbit hole and show them what a good opportunity Bitcoin is and how well it's done over the last decade and how it's poised to catch up to gold, I think they'll just naturally kind of get that and they'll, they'll start to align with Bitcoin rather than we come at come at them with adversarial like drop bitcoin you boomer you know let's yeah. <laughs> let's just try a little bit more to educate them and be a little bit uh more uh convincing in our arguments and maybe not try to piss them off i don't know that might help yeah, yeah that's a that's a good point i like the question where you said um you know if if uh, bitcoin succeeds do you think it could ever increase uh, to be worth the same amount as gold. Now, um, before before I say what the answer was on that, uh, we we do know that uh, both J.P. Morgan and Citibank have both put out guidance. Both of them saying that they think Bitcoin will overtake gold. Um, per this survey, 
Uh, 55% of people think that it could overtake or be worth as much or overtake gold. And so just to kind of put that into perspective for everybody listening, that's about a 10x from here today. I mean, uh, approximately, right? So, I mean, that's a... JP Morgan and Citibank both think that about oh, more than half of the survey respondents thought that as well. And so I know a lot of people think um, they've missed the boat. It's too late. I think a lot of these uh, marketers are saying, get the next Bitcoin, right? Get the next one. Um, but like per JP Morgan, Citibank and over half of these respondents, um, it could go up 10x from here. Yeah. And actually, I ran the survey a while ago and, and it was at this point, I think it was like 20 or 30x or something even so as, as bitcoin keeps going up what we've seen is definitely more people are dropping gold and they're choosing bitcoin it's it's you can see it in the charts so this is kind of playing out and i wonder if it's uh i wonder what strategy is more effective at, at that is it like you know like michael saylor debating the gold bugs and stuff or in grayscale running the drop gold campaign is that really effective at converting people to switch over to gold or is it really just the the number go up technology that bitcoin has installed and it's just just a lot of fomo from these folks who are now like waking up to the idea that okay maybe this is digital gold and i gotta look into it and they're just going and getting educated on it versus the adversarial like Drop gold, you boomer. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I think the answer is it depends. And so per your data, differences in age, income level, and even sex um, respond differently. And so I think, you know, Bitcoin needs lots of different people talking about lots of different things. And then people will find kind of the areas that they kind of gravitate towards um, based off of that. Um, and I call Bitcoin the great bait and switch because most people come in for the number go up technology, right, for the, to, to make money. Um, but once they come in, they start learning about it. Um, then they've been baited in by the, by the money going up and then they get, they get switched into learning that it can actually fix the world. It can fix uh, the, the, the money print, take away the money printer, fix the money, fix the world and so much more. Um, you're listening to the Mark Moss show. I got Brad Mills on at Brad Mills can. We're talking about this Bitcoin survey, Bitcoin education. Uh, I want to talk about um, what's growing on top of Bitcoin when we come back. Um, it's not just about money. It's not just digital cash, not just digital gold. It's more than that. So we're going to be back in just one minute to talk about that. So stay tuned. All right, welcome back. You're listening to The Mark Moss Show, and we are talking about Bitcoin and the decentralized revolution, which is something so big, not just new technology, not the iPhone, not Uber, Airbnb. We're talking about technological revolution that will change the way the world works, kind of like electricity. It wasn't just a digital candle. I mean, it was, but it became so much more. And that's what we're sitting on right now. Now, when we're talking about Bitcoin, um, I know a lot of people, and we talked about earlier before the break about your poll, and maybe the more educated people are, they tend to maybe be overconfident and, oh, I, I get it, I get it. It's like digital cash or digital gold, I, whatever. I don't need that, right? Um, but but it's so much more, just like, the, just like electricity was a digital candle, it was that, or the internet was a way to send electronic messages it became so much more. Um, one thing that I've been seeing and I'm actually super encouraged by is we're starting to see the Bitcoin network itself be a network that we're seeing new technologies being built on. So for example, about a month ago in Dallas, there was a hackathon and someone like came up with like a phone that could like call over the like Bitcoin network. Um, there's a couple like uh, communities that are being built on there now where people are chatting, um, streaming, you know, content, things like that. Uh, what do you think about like the future of these, these new types of technologies being built on the Bitcoin network? 
So, I am... I mean, earlier you said I was like a VC, right? I, I don't know if that's a dirty word. Like, sometimes I get a bit of cognitive dissonance because, like, I, I came from poverty and I don't really have, like, that type of an educational background or anything. I, I really came from, like, you know, low-income, uh, poor family on the East Coast of Canada where it's high unemployment and stuff. And Bitcoin was my kind of... Uh, my escape from all of that because I, I started like, I was an entrepreneur. So I, you know, I started hustling and making money and I, so I have an entrepreneurial mind. And when I started making money, I started like looking at this as, well, what am I going to invest in? Like, I guess I should get some stocks because that's what rich people do. And, uh, <laughs> I'm like, but stocks are a Ponzi scam. I don't want to buy any stocks. And, yeah. and it was like around the time after the financial crisis, you know, the 2008. So, I got really kind of down the rabbit hole with like libertarianism and Ron Paul and gold and all of that. So what I really wanted to do was angel invest. And um, so I started taking some of my profits from my company where I was an entrepreneur and I wanted to invest in other people that have good ideas and, and just kind of support people and see people build out their vision. So it took me 10 years, but now I'm doing that thanks to Bitcoin. And my mission with my angel investing and VC activities is I don't really want to do this like the Silicon Valley type of VC where they're just they're just like trying to get into these rounds and they know they're going to dump it on the public markets and go public and make unicorns and get a thousand X. I really care like kind of like what you were just saying. I really care about seeing entrepreneurs build on Bitcoin and yeah. and show the world what Bitcoin can do. So what I'm doing is kind of like I'm kind of donating really like that's almost the way I look at it like I'm just I'm just doing my duty as a bitcoiner to seed companies and invest in bitcoin entrepreneurs who are resisting the urge to go issue an ICO or go issue yep. a token and they're resisting that urge and they're staying true to the mission of bitcoin because all the stuff that's happening over in crypto world and on ethereum and all these blockchains that's all possible on bitcoin and you can do it without a token but all the flashing lights and all the Silicon Valley money and all the hedge fund money, it's going, most of it is going towards the crypto stuff because there's all this FOMO there. It's like .com 2.0. So what I like to see is all these Bitcoiners that are becoming wealthy and, and having their lives changed because their 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 conviction on Bitcoin. I like to see them investing in bitcoin only companies and it's been great man like the last year especially you got bitcoiner ventures trammel venture partners um you got funds or uh, charities like brink bitcoin open sats the human rights foundation um there's alice elise uh from blockstream from blockstream's got a fund now there's 1031 you, they, the, there's uh, there's like institutional investment going into bitcoin startups so it is really good to see that Bitcoiners are kind of starting their own angel investing syndicates and venture capital groups and stuff to really direct capital and allocate resources towards Bitcoin entrepreneurs building on Bitcoin. So I do think that over the next few years, we're going to kind of see what's coming out of this. Like you got things like Lolly and Fold and things that are like consumer apps. You got like Strike, who's building out the peer-to-peer -peer cash through the Lightning Network, and it's probably going to be a unicorn someday because Jack Mallers is just a beast. But then you got um, other things like you were mentioning, like interesting other use cases for Bitcoin. You got third layers, like entrepreneurs and Bitcoin developers and stuff are building like 
the fabric protocol and on these other layers on top of Bitcoin that are interoperable with Lightning. Like that's years away. You got people who yeah. are building out Bitcoin as an identity management system to like be the new internet. Like you could build a new internet on Bitcoin with a third layer type of solution. So none of this stuff needs tokens. Bitcoin is the money. Bitcoin is the asset and the network. And entrepreneurs that want to build on Bitcoin, they used to have basically a choice of like going broke, selling their Bitcoin, missing the upside of Bitcoin to try to build on Bitcoin. But thankfully now there's lots of uh, angel investors and stuff that are willing to fund Bitcoin businesses. And you can see some of them on Bank to the Future and sites like that. So, yeah, as far as like really cool, useful, I mean, really cool, unique apps and stuff like that. Most of it's financial stuff right now. There is some things like cool stuff like uh, Adam Curry's doing that that podcasting technology on Lightning Network and a bunch of node-running companies. Um, Galloway Money's doing something pretty interesting. They're doing like credit unions on Bitcoin with the Lightning Network where communities kind of have like Bitcoin banks and nodes and they connect to the credit union basically. Like they connect to the Bitcoin credit union sort of thing that they're setting up. I mean, th- yeah. this is this is like just the tip of the iceberg for how big Bitcoin can get and how decentralized we can even make it even more. So I'm just excited to see it. Like, it kind of sucks to see all the frothiness happening over on, on the crypto side because it's a lot of dot-com 2.0 bubbly nonsense. But then we got, you know, Jack from Twitter and uh, big companies like that that are, that are actually like aligning with the mission of Bitcoin as peer-to-peer decentralized cash and a sound money like uh, Austrian type of sound money so it's really good to see like that type of um, they're, they're not just doing it for money they're doing it for altruistic reasons and principled reasons so I'm more excited by seeing that uptick than yeah. I am by like some unicorn company that might go a thousand X on the stock market or something like that well, I think uh, the problem is that, you know, with the ICO craze, uh, as you kind of referred to, um, it's pretty easy for somebody to go um, launch a token and go raise 20 million bucks to go build out a project. Uh, but to build an application that goes on top of the Bitcoin protocol, because there is no um, token, you can't just go get $20 million out of thin air. And so then you're forced to kind of go the traditional route, which is get the friends and family, get the angels, get the get the venture capitalists, et cetera, to invest into your company. So it's uh, it's the older, more, more uh, you know, more older model um, that just it, it takes longer but of course all good things take time um, and so um, rushing out to build um, you know your own token isn't probably the best long-term sustainable option um, but that's great uh, Brad I, I, I agree I mean there's so much good things going on uh, I think it's going to change the world and I think it's gonna be bigger than most people even realize uh, but you're listening to the Mark Moss Show each week where I talk about Bitcoin and then talk about this decentralized revolution, really trying to give you um, the asymmetric information. That's information most people don't know. So you can have the asymmetric opportunity, the upside that most people won't have. Um, I'm just joined with Brad Mills. You can find him on Twitter at Brad Mills Can. Um, send him a message. Send him a question. I'm one Mark Moss on Twitter. Also add me and send me a question. Uh, Brad, anything you want to direct people to while I got you last minute? Yeah, thanks. I just finished this uh, short film that is a. Everybody's been talking about it on Twitter and in my personal life. It's called thismachinegreens.com, and it's a really well done short film by a filmmaker friend of mine, Jamie King, 
that talks about the truth behind the Bitcoin energy conversation so you can get a bit, bit more educated on that, you know, Bitcoin's bad for the environment myth that everybody seems to be falling for. This Machine Greens. Go check it out. And that's it. Thanks so much, Brad. We'll see you later. Thank you. Uh, with that, I got to wrap it up. Thanks for listening to The Mark Moss Show. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards. Like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.